Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. I am really out there all on my own when I'm climbing a peak and seeing nothing but moose and black bear and grizzly bears. You know, I set up a lifestyle much like you, Matt, that I call geographically agnostic. I could really live anywhere with this digital business that I own, much like you. And time asynchronous, meaning most of my activities can be done whenever I want to, whenever I have the energy. So it's control of time, it's control of place, and it's control of expression. I can talk about what's interesting to me. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles here. And our guest today is Keith Weinhold. He is the host of the very popular Get Rich Education podcast. He is also an international best-selling author. He writes for the Rich Dad Advisors. He writes for Forbes, and he is a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council. Keith has been an active income property investor since 2002. He owns apartments in Alaska. He owns single-family income property in the continental U.S., which the Alaskans call the lower 48. He is the owner of the GetRichEducation.com website where he teaches others about real estate investing. Keith, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure, Matt. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm super excited about this episode because you and I have a lot of, I think, cross-pollination in our audiences. Uh, My clients certainly listen to the Get Rich Education show, uh, as do I. And a number of your clients certainly buy rental properties through Maverick Investor Group. So as I was reaching out to my audience and asking them, who do you want as a guest on the Maverick show, a bunch of people came back and said, we want to hear Keith Weinhold get him as a guest on the show. So we are super excited to have you here, Keith. I think you and I have known each other now, probably I want to say at least four years, maybe even longer than that. So I'm, I'm super excited for uh, this interview, man. Yeah, it's been about four years. So yeah, it's about time. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into this. I want to first start by painting the picture of where you and I are, respectively, for this interview. I am in 
Vietnam. I am living in the city of Da Nang, which is in central Vietnam. Uh, this entire month, I've been right on the beach, and it's a sunny, uh, probably about 78 degrees every day, and just a really, really, really cool place to be. So um, I, as you know, travel the world a good bit and try to pick out choice locations and spend a lot of time in different areas uh, around the world that I think are really cool. And one of the things that I appreciate about you, Keith, is that I know you also, like me, have prioritized your location independence. You have built your business in such a way that you could run it from anywhere in the US or anywhere in the world. Uh, And I want you to talk a little bit about where you are today and what you've chosen to do with your location independence based on your passions. Yeah, Matt. Well, when a lot of people think about the location where they're going to reside and build their lifestyle, most people think about... Now, where is my workaday job going to be? Where is my life going to be where I spend most of my waking hours trading my time for dollars and I'll just go where I get the best job? Well, there's a much better way to do that. Don't live to get paid. Get paid to live. And I think you and I are both doing that right now, Matt. You can design your life the way that you want to design it. Most people just don't pull back and ask themselves a bigger question. What kind of life am I designing for myself? So you're in Da Nang, Vietnam. That's pretty exotic to most Americans. And right now, I'm actually in a place that most Americans consider exotic, yet I'm in the United States today myself, and that is in my hometown of beautiful and pristine Anchorage, Alaska. I vacationed here a few times uh, shortly after college, and you know, I found out that Anchorage, it really fits my lifestyle. It fits my interests for skiing and mountaineering. So that's my, why my wife and I spend nine to 10 months a year based right here at our home in Anchorage and spend the other months traveling. And why did I pick Anchorage, Alaska of all places? Well, a lot of people have never been here. It's a city of 300,000 people. A lot of people don't realize that. So there are plenty of amenities and choices in a city of that size. But yet I'm really into cross-country skiing. I live a four-minute drive from Kincaid Park, where we have world-class cross-country ski trails. And I live about a 25-minute drive from Chugat State Park, where I am really out there all on my own when I'm climbing a peak and seeing nothing but moose and black bear and grizzly bear. So you get a better change in seasons here than what most people think. The winters are long, dark, and cold, but I've just set up my life such that My wife and I can be traveling off into Latin America or Hawaii or sometimes the Philippines. My wife's Filipina. We can do that the other months. So, you know, I set up a lifestyle much like you, Matt, that I call geographically agnostic. I could really live anywhere with this digital business that I own, much like you. And time asynchronous, meaning most of my activities can be done whenever I want to or whether I whenever I have the energy. So it's control of time. It's control of place and it's control of expression. I can talk about what's interesting to me. Well, I love that, Keith. And one of the things that you said that I think is really important is that for location-independent lifestyle designers, it's a really a subjective choice, right? So your choice and your wife's choice is to live in your dream city, which for you two is Anchorage, for 10 months out of the year, and then travel for leisure, Um you know, two months out of the year, two places that are excited for you. And that's your sort of ratio that you've optimized the 10 months in one place and two months traveling to other places. And that could change over time, of course. But the fact that you guys had the 
opportunity to choose that is what's important for me as a lot of, uh, um, you know, my listeners and clients and friends though, you know, I'm moving around the world probably at a rate of, you know, I might live in a place for a month to two months at a time and then move to another really exciting place. So uh, I am definitely, though, by the way, going to have to get your recommendations on the Philippines, because if you can believe this, it's one of the few countries in Southeast Asia that I have not yet been to. I'm very close. I was just in Thailand for seven weeks before Vietnam, and I've been here for about a month. Uh, I've lived a few months in Malaysia. I've been to Cambodia for at least a month, but I've never yet been to the Philippines. So when I schedule that trip, I will be consulting you, sir. Yes, you should do that. Definitely check out the Banaue Rice Terraces in the Philippines. I would call the Philippines one of the most difficult countries to extensively see in the entire world. And the reason for that is because it's an archipelago of about 8,000 islands. That's why it's so difficult to see it extensively. And yeah, Matt, I've been catching up with you on Facebook. I see what you're doing. I see that you've been in Vietnam lately. And you know what, Matt? Maybe you get this same question that I get in my life sometimes. People look at me and my life, either in person or virtually through Facebook or social media, and they say, gosh, Keith, what are you, what are you doing? How did you do this? You live a really great life. Well, why should anyone express surprise that I'm living a great life? Why don't they live a great life themselves? Whose choice is it to live a great life? It's theirs. So it's kind of, you know, another person's problem, if you will, that they're not living a life that they designed for themselves. But the good news is that person is also the solution to that problem. They can make the choices that get them to live the life that they want to live with their family. They are the designer. They are the architect of their own lives. But, you know, a lot of people just get into thinking small, and that's what most people do. Yeah, and, you know, I used it for me. It was really the lifestyle design that was the kind of prime motivator, driver, inspiration for me to achieve what I achieved in business and to work that hard and to endure all of the failures and challenges and downsides that occurred because I painted a vision for myself, right? Which is really what people need to do. If you're not living your ideal lifestyle right now and you have different types of obstacles that you perceive that are preventing you from getting there, whatever it may be, you know, think about the end vision, like conceptualize what your dream lifestyle actually would look like, because that's the first step. You have to know what you want to achieve. And then how are you going to get from where you are now to the dream lifestyle is the path and the course that you need to chart. But it starts with what that vision is. And, and if you can create a vision that is exciting enough and inspiring enough for you, then that is really going to help to motivate you to drive and design and figure out and solve problems and create ways to overcome obstacles and challenges that are in your way and in your path to getting there. So Keith, now you do, you mentioned that you travel all, all over the place, you go to different continents, and you mentioned to me that you actually own, and I want to ask you about this, a coffee farm in Panama. Is that right? I do. I am one of the owners of a coffee farm in Panama. I own land parcels there, individually titled to me. Wow. Now, how did that come about? Were you just down there traveling and on a trip and you kind of came across this opportunity, or did you take a trip down there to see an opportunity that you had researched uh, beforehand? That's a great question. It all comes down to trust in the team with most any real estate investment. So I got a quality introduction to a provider of 
producing coffee farm parcels in Panama. So it's really because I had trust in the team in the operators first and the, the operators of the coffee farm in Panama and, and management of the farm parcels and the harvest and the sale of the coffee beans and everything is outsourced to somebody else. Um, one is a Canadian, the other is an Irish person that are both relocated to Latin America many years ago. And I have a lot of trust in the team. But yeah, Matt, it's a really cool investment. But before I tell you about why I invested there in the details, let's just pull back. You know, you and I are into real estate investing. For most people, real estate investing means residential real estate investing in the United States, because ultimately we serve a basic human need. That is to house people. Well, investing in agricultural real estate in Panama, that serves a basic human need. People need to eat, and that's not going to change anytime soon. It's like I often say, do the right thing before you do things right. The right thing is investing in something that's going to have sustainable, durable human demand. Residential housing and agriculture investments. Now, is coffee really a food? I don't know, but humans want it. I mean, you know, Matt, even when you're using an airport back in 2009, in the height of the Great Recession, when you get off a plane, the longest lines were at Starbucks. So there's a lot of sustainable demand there for coffee. You know, some refer to it as a legalized drug. And the way that the investment works is parcels are split and subdivided into half-acre parcels. Each parcel that you buy, it costs less than $20,000, so it's very approachable for an everyday investor. And you're not going to get a loan for foreign real estate, so you will have to pay off cash, so there's no leverage there. That's sort of a downside. Um, I bought my parcels four years ago for $13,300 each, and now parcels are going for eighteen dollars to $19,000 each. So we've actually had appreciation in the land, but you and I are cash flow investors, Matt, and we like investing in a hard asset. So this is a hard asset. And my cash flow, rather than coming monthly like it would from residential tenants, I have a cash flow stream annually from the harvest of the coffee beans. So it's an annual cash flow stream, and it is completely, I mean completely uncorrelated with the United States stock market and the United States residential real estate market because the trees are your tenants. So you're always going to have 100% occupancy pretty much. And, you know, the trees are, are quiet. You know, they don't have a leaky faucet that needs to be fixed. The trees are your tenants. They just show up every day and they know what to do. Keith, I'll tell you this. I drink about four espressos a day, my friend. So that sounds like a pretty solid. That sounds, I mean, you don't have to convince me about the necessity of that particular uh, uh, crop or that particular asset. So, uh, but let's let's talk about what your primary bread and butter is. I know that the majority of real estate that you own is certainly residential investment property. Is certainly in the United States. You've certainly made that choice for a particular reason. Even if you do have some of these more exotic diversification pieces in your portfolio, so. Let's just maybe, could you talk, I know this goes back to 2002, maybe you could talk a little bit about your real estate investing journey and how that all started. Oh, I'd love to. And just to pick up on a piece, because I'm sure some of your listeners are wondering, if you go to getrichseducation.com slash coffee, that's how you can learn about that Panama coffee farm investment, which I've been an investor in myself and I've been enjoying the, the cash flow. But yeah, Matt, the way it really all started for me, and I could never see myself doing something as exotic as living in Alaska and investing in a hard asset in Panama, is I grew up in upstate Pennsylvania, Appalachia, to two great parents that are still happy and together today. I grew up lower middle class. You know, my mom was clipping 10 cent coupons for Cheerios, 
But on the other side, we did travel. My parents really prioritized travel. You know, get out and see the very world that you live in. So that planted sort of an abundance mentality seed in me in a certain way. I was a quiet and shy kid. My high school classmates voted me as the most quiet and shy kid in our entire high school graduating class. I graduated 17th out of 75. That was my class rank. So what is that? Not even top 20%. And shortly thereafter, I started vacationing in Alaska. And that's where it got instilled within me that that's where I want to live. So shortly after moving to Anchorage, Alaska, more than 15 years ago, Matt, I kind of fell in with what I would call an aspirational crowd. I think you've all heard the Jim Rohn quote, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Take your five closest friends, average their educational attainment level, average the way they dress, average their ethical standards. It's probably going to be about how you are. So this aspirational crowd, now two of what I would call my closest five friends, Matt, they had purchased a fourplex building in Anchorage, Alaska, where they lived in one unit and rented out the other three. And my one friend kind of had his act together, and the other was a bit of a, a screw-off, and, and, and they were pulling it off. So here I am in Anchorage, moving here specifically for skiing and mountaineering. I was working a day job as a construction materials inspector. But I had accumulated enough liquidity such that when it was time for me to sort of come of age and buy my first home, rather than buying a single family home, I thought big like my aspirational friends did. I bought a fourplex building for $295,000 in 2002 in Midtown Anchorage, Alaska. And I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't come from much. So I had enough for a 3.5% down payment. It came to about $13,000 with closing costs. So I bought a fourplex building with this FHA loan and a 3.5% down payment. And this is actually very actionable for the Maverick Show audience, Matt, because this loan program still exists today. All you need to do is live in one of the four units for a minimum of 12 months, owner-occupied. And at last check, you only needed a minimum credit score of 580. And I think most people have that. And you know what? Here's the, the key thing, Matt. I knew and I had heard at that point back in 2002 that real estate investing had made more ordinary people wealthy than anything else, but I just didn't quite know how, even though I had, rich, I had read Rich Dad Poor Dad just a year earlier. When I bought, I didn't even know what the terms equity and cash flow meant. I didn't even know what they meant. I just knew my two friends were basically living for free. Now, it isn't always easy living on site and dealing with tenants. The upside of that is it's easy to make repairs. And the downside of that is you've got tenants right next to you that, you know, every time they hit you up on the sidewalk, they, they might want their you know little cabinet door adjusted or something minor like that. So, but that's how it all began with a fourplex building and an FHA loan, it can still be done today. Well, Keith, my uh, real estate investing story is incredibly similar to yours. And we have talked about this before. I started investing in real estate around 2004, so slightly after you, but I did almost the same thing. It wasn't a fourplex, but it was a four-bedroom house. And then I rented out the other three bedrooms two really good friends of mine. And so it was almost the exact same thing. And so I was an owner occupant. So I got all the best lending terms on it. And then I had three streams of income and I got to live with three friends of mine. So it, you know, it was like the best of all worlds. And then that was right in that boom cycle. So the house appreciated. And all of a sudden I got equity and was able to cash that out and continue uh, buying properties in other markets. So yeah, that's a very, very strong strategy uh, for somebody that wants to get in the game, I think. 
But talk a little bit about, you know, from there to here. And I know you mentioned that growing up, you, you identified your yourself as sort of a lower middle class position. So the real differentiation between poor, middle class and wealthy is this, you know, poor people, they work for their money and they really don't have anything left over at the end of the month. Middle class people, they also work for money, but middle class people, they have some liquidity left over so that they can invest. And here's the key distinction. Middle class people think, what could be better than getting my money to work for me in my investments? I want to get my money to work as hard for me as it possibly can. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, you're wrong. If you want to be wealthy, you need to think differently. You need to get other people's money ethically working for you many places at the same time. That's what can transform you from middle class to wealthy. And that's the mindset shift that I took that led to the actions. Now, some people are like, wait, use other people's money. Is that manipulative? Is that legal? Is that even ethical? Yeah, it's, it's actually both legal and ethical. When you provide sound housing to others, you're, you're serving society with a need and you're actually using other people's money three ways at the same time, much like I did when I started with that fourplex building, although I just didn't realize it yet. The way you can use other people's money three ways at the same time is you're using the bank's money for a loan and for leverage to get into the property, using the tenant's money for a monthly income stream, and using the government's money for very generous tax incentives. And you're getting these tax incentives at scale through things like tax depreciation, the mortgage interest deduction, and the 1031 tax-deferred exchange, which means you don't ever have to pay capital gains tax on your real estate. I legally never have in my entire life. But that is the mindset shift. You need to think and act differently, and it's using other people's money. You can do it three ways at the same time with real estate. So let's talk about buying rental property in today's market. Uh, a lot of people are asking, they always ask the question, is it a good time to buy real estate? Right. And it's, there's all, the question is always there. And what's interesting to me, Keith, and uh, you know, I've been doing this for over a decade. You know, Maverick was founded in 2007. You've obviously been in the game for well over a decade as well. And what's interesting is that people will always ask that question at every stage in the property cycle when real estate goes down in price and it's at rock bottom prices. People are hesitant to buy real estate. Oh, should I buy it now? Is it a, is it a bad time? Real estate just went down in value. And then when real estate goes back up in value, then they're like, oh, you know, is it a bubble? Is it a bad time to buy real estate? You know, maybe I shouldn't buy it now. And so there's always, I'm hearing different questions or rationales for, is it a good time? When is it a good time? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, buying real estate and when is a good time? Great question, because real estate prices have risen nationally for about seven years in a row now, and now interest rates are beginning to tick up as well. So people ask, is now a good time to be a real estate investor? I think it's a fantastic time to be a real estate investor. I am still buying. Why do I think it's a good time to be a real estate investor, despite the fact that prices are up, mortgage interest rates just continue to flirt? with historic lows. They were 18% in the early 80s. I mean, if you're a person that thinks that, say, mortgage interest rates are going to be 7% four years from now, which is certainly possible, well, if that's true, you would want to buy all that you can now. 
more millennials are entering prime renter age. Millennials are the largest generation surpassing the baby boomers in 2015. There are more than 80 million millennials. They need housing and they're in prime renter age. And you know, one reason why millennials have to be our renters rather than go buy their own home is that they can't form a down payment because college costs have risen faster than inflation. Well, that means millennials, this huge generation worth paying attention to, they're saddled with student loan debt. So with no down payment, a greater proportion have got to rent. Some of them want to own, but not as many as had previously. And some are just forced to rent because they can't come up with the down payment necessary due to that tuition cost. That's sort of a demographic component, Matt, but there's really what I would call a psychographic component. You know, years ago, millennials saw their parents lose their home in the mortgage meltdown of 2009. And because that happened in a lot of the millennials' formative years, some millennials just have this negative association with homeownership that drives rental demand. That's good for people like you and I that have rentals. And another thing I think people overlook is here in the United States, we have population growth. People just tend to overlook that. But population losses in places like Japan and Greece and Spain, they create excess housing capacity there. We don't have that problem here. About 10 years ago, the U.S. was in an overbuilt supply, but now we're in somewhat of an underbuilt condition. And this just drives the economics 101 of supply versus demand. So our population grows about seven-tenths of 1% per year. But you know what? Even if the U.S. population stayed the same, housing demand would grow. Why would that be? Well, just think about how people are living these days. And again, it goes back to the trend of millennials. Millennials, they're postponing marriage and housing formation until later than any prior generation. So because of that, instead of two people living in one home, Think about it. Now two people live in two separate homes. So that drives housing demand. So rental occupancy is really high. In some markets, monthly rental amounts are rising faster than inflation. And this just enriches real estate investors. In fact, we now have the lowest home ownership rate in the U.S. since 1965. And economists and demographers just expect that to continue. Fewer people are buying homes, and that equates to more people in the renter pool. And that is really good news for us. And then I think about the maturity of turnkey real estate investing, where we have the opportunity to buy someone else's fix and flip in an investor advantage market. So there are really so many reasons why it's I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. Good to be a real estate investor and why I am still buying. 
And Keith, I want to also, I want you to talk about real estate as an asset class and some of the unique characteristics and benefits of residential investment property that are different from other assets. You obviously do a show called Get Rich Education. You obviously talk about investing. You talk about wealth building. Uh, certainly, there's a number of shows that talk about those general topics. So for an expert like you that's well-versed on different types of investment opportunities, what are the unique benefits of residential investment property? I know you talk about five five different ways that people get paid from residential investment property, which is quite different from a lot of other investments. So can you talk a little bit about that and explain that? Oh, I'd love to. I absolutely love talking about this, Matt. I get fired up. We're talking about investing here. So what is your return on investment? Well, you know what? Most lay people have no idea how a real estate investor gets paid. On top of that, most real estate investors don't even understand all the ways that they're paid. On top of that, most real estate investing educators can't even describe all the ways that a real estate investor is paid. So with stocks, someone is typically paid one way if they're lucky enough to have a capital gain. Maybe they're paid a second way if they have a dividend-paying stock, but the average dividend in the S&P 500 is only 2%. So stock investors are just used to getting paid one way if they're fortunate enough to have a gain. Real estate investors are paid five ways at the same time. So let's just look at each one of these with a simple example, and we're going to add up your rates of return to see how much you're paid at the end of year one. So you're going to hear something you've never heard before, and this is exactly why real estate has made more ordinary people wealthy than anything else. So let's just use a really simple example. Say you've carefully purchased a $100,000 rental single-family home where the rent income exceeds the expenses. And yes, you actually can find these in the United States, Midwest, and South. These are many of the same markets that Matt and I are often talking about. Now, if you make a 20% down payment on that 100K rental property, that leaves you with an $80,000 loan, and the property is already tenanted because you bought turnkey, renovated and tenanted and under management. Okay, well, let's look at the first way you're paid. The first way you're paid is with appreciation, not just appreciation, but leveraged appreciation. Let's say in year one, your property appreciates from $100,000 up to $106,000. There aren't any guarantees in any of this, but that is just commensurate with real estate's historic appreciation rate of 6%. Okay, so 100K up to 106, not very thrilling, right? Wrong. Because your $6,000 gain, that's based on your down payment of just $20,000. You only have twenty dollars of skin in the game. Well, a six dollars return divided by your twenty dollars down payment, that magic of leverage means that your return is 30%. And this is one of only five ways you're paid. Now, some people haven't heard that before. Sometimes the leverage light bulb needs to turn on. How did you get a 30% rate of return? We just said your piece of real estate just appreciated 6%. That's because you got a 6% return on both your 20K down payment and you got a 6% return on the 80K that you borrowed from the bank. That return is all yours, not the bank's. And the monthly payments on the 80K are reliably outsourced to tenants as long as you bought a cash flowing property where the income exceeds the purchase price. So that's the magic of leverage. The second way a real estate investor is paid is with cash flow. Okay, so 
let's just take your rent income minus all of the monthly expenses. Each month you have a rent income and you have to deduct out from that the mortgage, a vacancy rate, insurance, maintenance, taxes, management, maybe a utility payment. But say that leaves you with 150 bucks of residual income. Well, that's $1,800 annually divided by your 20K down payment. That is another 9% return on top of the 30. And by the way, this 9%, that is a portion known as the cash on cash return. The third way you're paid is through principal pay down. Now, you might think that you have this advantage in your own home, but you don't because you're in your own home. You're grinding. You're working to make your principal pay down. In an investment property, your tenant makes the principal pay down for you. So in this example, with an $80,000 loan at a 5% interest rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage, that's another $1,176 annually that the tenant pays down for you, divided by your 20K of skin in the game. That is another return for you of 5%. The fourth way you're paid is through some of the tax benefits I mentioned earlier, like the mortgage interest deduction, depreciation, which means that you typically don't even have to pay tax on all of your rent income. With 1031 exchanges, you're tax deferred forever. It gets a little bit fuzzy, but we can just call this conservatively a 3% return. And then the fifth and final way that you're paid is through a way almost no one understands, and that is through an inflation hedging benefit. Most investors, even advanced investors, fail to consider this. Okay, now just like you wouldn't want to put $80,000 in the bank for 30 years because inflation would erode the purchasing power of that lump of savings, well, in the opposite way, it erodes the weight of your $80,000 mortgage balance. So your 80K loan today has its drag diluted over time as more and more dollars circulate in an economy. It gets easier to pay that 80K back. And again, the tenant services all the interest. We actually know the tenant's paying down that 80K for you incrementally at the same time. But even if you had to pay back 80K, due to inflation, it gets easier to pay back. If we have a real inflation rate of 5%, the government underreports the inflation rate for a lot of reasons. That's a whole separate conversation. But at 5% inflation and an 80% loan, you have another benefit, another return of 4%. So if you add up all these five ways that you're paid, your year one return from this income property is 30% from leverage appreciation, nine on the cash on cash return, five on the loan pay down portion, 3% on the tax benefit, a 4% inflation hedging benefit. That adds up to a whopping 51%. And anyone that comes from the consumer credit world is given pause when they hear that for the first time. But you just need to go back and break it down. That's where your return comes from. Let's just note a few limitations here. We didn't factor in your buyer mortgage loan closing costs, but the seller can often help you pay for those. And there's some risk. If you buy property in a losing job market or you hire the wrong property manager, your whole investment could go south. But you know, look, even if one third of things go wrong, your 51% return would be eroded down to 34%. I think most any investor would still be happy with that. And your return does go down typically after year one because you're accumulating more equity in the property and the return from home equity is actually zero. So, but you know, this is exciting stuff because now that you know this, you know how to keep score with your investments and keeping score is so important. You know, a lot of people think that they're winning at real estate investing when they're really losing. And a lot of people are losing at real estate investing when they think that they're winning. So 
when you know how to keep score, now you know what to buy, now you know what to sell, now you know when to sell, now you know when it's smart to do a cash out refinance, now you know when it's smart to do a 1031 exchange. It all begins really with what is that rate of return and understanding where it comes from. This is what has made more ordinary people wealthy than anything else right here. Yeah, and I think that also helps people to be more comfortable getting into the game and buying those rental properties because when we're socialized with sort of the stock buying mentality of I'm going to make a bet, I'm going to basically gamble and I think it's going to go up so I'll put my money here and I'm just going to hope and pray that it goes up and if it goes up I win and if it goes down I lose and that's that's really the mentality I think a lot of us are socialized into and so with real estate you know, if you can comfortably say to yourself, you know what, like, I'm not 100% sure if the market's going to keep going up. Uh, maybe it'll go down. Maybe it'll stay the same for a long time and plateau. But you know what? Even if it does go down or if it does plateau, I still have four other profit centers, <laughs> you know, that I'm, that, I, that are giving me, that I'm making money on. Or let's say you have a bad year with your rental property and you have very high, you know, vacancy rate, turnover rate, maybe you have an eviction, maybe you have, you know, some maintenance on the property, and maybe that erodes all of your positive cash flow. And so the whole year, you know, you, you just maybe broke even. You didn't even make any positive cash flow on your property, or maybe you even lost a little bit. Well, guess what? You still have four other profit centers, right? So I, I think with that mentality and seeing the whole picture, it helps to sort of psychologically mitigate you know some of the different risk points because you have all these different hedges in there so keith let's go to the next step and let's talk about then what would be sort of the first steps to buying property i mean one of the things that i see a lot is folks just want to look at rental property show me the inventory let me see the property show me the inventory let me just look through all these properties i've actually heard you on some of your podcasts literally say to people stop looking at property <laughs> that's that's not that's not the first step so talk us through what would an intelligent investor do you know, procedurally, what should people's steps be to buy the right property? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Yeah, people hear me on the Get Rich Education podcast talk about this stuff, like the five ways that real estate investors are paid, and now they're all fired up to go buy a property. I need to jump in and tell people, stop looking at property. And that gives people pause. Oh, wait, I, I need a property. You can't make any money from the property that you don't own. I completely agree with that. But you just need to step back for a moment. Most real estate investors have an awful experience with real estate investing because they kind of jumped into a property. Even if they see that the property cash flows, that's not enough. A lot of people just aren't very strategic with their investing or they get emotionally invested in rental property. Emotions have place in your primary residence, but not in an investment property. You know, someone says, oh, I drive past this nice looking yellow duplex on the way to my work commute. And yeah, it's kind of in my neighborhood. I could self-manage it. Yeah, I think I'll buy that one. Well, Take a more strategic approach. Step back. Stop looking at property. Property is only the fourth most important thing in real estate investing. Yeah, it's only fourth. The number one thing in real estate investing is you. What do you want real estate to do for you? It gets back to that. What kind of lifestyle do you want to design for yourself that you and I talked about earlier, Matt? Do you want real estate to provide you with appreciation? Or do you want to maximize tax incentives? Or do you want a monthly income stream, like a monthly cash flow stream, which is the number one thing that I want? Or do you want to invest because maybe it's a vacation property and some sort of lifestyle investing? So what do you want real estate to do for you? You are the most important thing in real estate investing. 
The second most important thing is what market are you investing in? Is the market going to give you what you want? And market could be use type, whether that's mobile home parks or assisted living facilities or residential real estate. Or market can also mean geography. Are you investing in Sacramento or Oklahoma City or Memphis? You know, is that market going to deliver what you wanted? The third most important thing is the team, the team of professionals that you've chosen to surround yourself with with this investment. It could be your mortgage loan officer, your 1031 exchange officer, and the number one member of your team, I would say, is your property manager. Do you have a good communicative manager in that market? So then and only then do you begin looking at property? Because if those first three things don't check out, number one, if you don't have yourself figured out, number two, if you don't have your market figured out, and number three, if you don't have your team figured out, then it just doesn't matter how good your property is. So now you're being strategic. Now you're setting yourself up to have a really good experience. Go look at property, but get those first three things figured out first. All right, Keith. So I want to talk a little bit now. I want to ask you a little bit about how the podcast, the Get Rich Education podcast came to fruition and sort of a little bit about how you decided to build that and then how the journey was building that. Because you're obviously now, I know you have well over a million listens of the podcast at yeah. this point. Uh, you know, you've really built quite the personal brand um, around it. And obviously people, you know, can tell why you have so many listeners because you're dispensing advice like what you just dispensed on a regular basis. And so, of course, people are tuning in to learn about that. But tell us a little bit about sort of the origin story of the podcast. How did you decide to do it? How has the journey been? And, and a little bit of, uh, about you as an entrepreneur sort of building that. Yeah, I'd love to talk behind the scenes on the podcast a little. Well, I told you earlier that I was voted as the most quiet and shy student in my high school class. I think I've somewhat grown out of that, although I'll never be a complete extrovert. But in my workplace, and I quit my day job years ago, but when I was still in my workplace, coworkers found it fascinating that I have passive monthly income streams coming from different places in the U.S. and the world, and it just became natural for me to talk about it. And I, I think if any person, even if they're an introvert, if they talk about something that they're excited about, it comes very easy to them. So I got used to articulating about real estate in a certain way, just describing it to lay people like my former co-workers. And soon, sometimes people would kind of gather in my office, more than one, and they would just wonder to know how I did this. So I thought, well, a great way to reach more people is to talk into a microphone that's called a podcast. And Matt, Matt you know how the Get Rich Education podcast began? It began October of 2014 on an Anchorage, Alaska dining room table with a $60 USB microphone plugged in to a laptop. That was episode one, which you can still go back and listen to, Get Rich Education Podcast episode one. But my point is, if you talk about something that you're passionate about and your message is good enough, you know, people will listen. It doesn't matter that you're in Alaska. And I actually had a little fear about that. Like, boy, if I'm in Alaska, some people don't travel very much. They just think that's an isolated place. And, you know, this isn't Anchorage, Alaska isn't exactly the financial capital of the world. But, you know, I found out that that stuff really doesn't matter. And so that also speaks, I think, to people who want to figure out what direction to go in terms of starting a business and in terms of you know, being able to monetize something and they're wondering what to do. And I think your example is great, Keith, that if you are passionate about something and you put a lot of your time into learning about something, 
doing something, you like teaching other people about it, there are absolutely ways to build a business around that, to develop an audience, to develop a following, and ultimately to monetize that. And so, you know, I think your example is really good. And people should think about what, you know, if they're in that stage, that early stage about, I want to go into an entrepreneurial direction what should I do? I think really the self-auditing about your passions, you know, what do you find yourself talking about? What do you find yourself spending your free time doing and reading about? What do you find yourself teaching other people about and that you might know more than other people and you could add some value to them? So, you know, those are, those are a lot of really good questions to ask. I think when you're at the beginning of the stage and then Keith, as you went through your, you know, your journey and you, were building the podcast and you were building your business and you were, you know, building your personal brand and all of that. You know, can you tell us a little bit about maybe a failure or a mistake? Because what what happens is, I, I think, is that people look at success. They look at the end product. They look at a particular person that has quote unquote succeeded and they think that it's just a straight line to success. Oh, that person probably didn't have the obstacles that I did, or that person probably didn't make you know mistakes or fail or anything along their way. They just had a smooth sort of trip. <laughs> and so I always I always like to ask that of successful business owners and entrepreneurs if you can share maybe a mistake or a failure that you had along the way and how you overcame came at or what you learned from it. Oh, I can definitely give you a failure in a minute, but first say, yeah, if you, the listener, are interested in monetizing your passion and getting out there and making your passion your profession, whether you monetize it to a high degree or not, yes, it takes passion, yes, it takes authenticity, but just ask yourself, hmm, what's the one thing that people kind of come to me to ask me about that I seem to know more about than others do? And you don't need to be the most knowledgeable person about that. But yeah, you can build a brand around that through a YouTube channel, through a podcast, through blogging. But I would just ask you before you get launched down that entrepreneurial road, you know, another question people kind of forget to ask themselves is you need to answer what are you going to give up in your life before you take this on? Because it does take a significant amount of your time. So find out what you're going to give up first in your life. And you're going to be a lot less frustrated. And, you know, one mistake I made, Matt, and it actually ties back into real estate investing is I could have launched Get Rich Education a few years sooner. One of my greatest mistakes that I made is I self-managed my property. I managed my own apartment buildings in Anchorage, Alaska, even though um, I outsource management to where I own in other states. But if I had outsourced self-management sooner, I would have opened up more time for myself, not just to travel and to enjoy life, but to launch this platform, Get Rich Education, that's changing so many other people's lives. So when you're in real estate, you know, I would tell you, you only need to manage property for one to two years if you even do it at all. It's not mandatory that you ever get property management experience, although it does, it does help if you do it one to two years. You'll be able to understand a manager's problems, dilemmas. You'll be able to understand your property manager's monthly statements that you get thereafter. But ask yourself a better question. What's your return on time invested? I call that your ROTI. That's much more important than your cash on cash return, your cap rate, your internal rate of return. Outsource self-management. That'll open up a time in your life where you can migrate to a better and higher use. Rather than owning get-rich education, I could still be managing my own properties, but I got to pull back and realize that's not my best and highest use over the long term. So the point is, is 
Get used to outsourcing some things. Have some faith in yourself that you can migrate to a better and higher use. And at this point, Keith, I mean, people heard all of the introduction that I read about you and all the things that you do and you write for Forbes and you write for Rich Dad Advisors and you're an author and you're a podcaster and you know you have all these things in addition to being an investor and being all these other things. And so that sounds like a lot of stuff. And you're consistently putting out a huge amount of high quality original new content. You know, you're consistently you're doing all of this stuff. Can you talk a little bit about now, you know, how do you structure your day? You know, how do you manage your time and sort of maximize your productivity? Yeah, that's great stuff. You know, some people look at me and say, well, just four years ago, you still worked a day job. And yeah, you kind of had a lot of, of real estate and some big apartment buildings around Anchorage and, and single family homes in, in Texas and Tennessee. That's great. But how did you get from that? in just four years to owning Get Rich Education, having one of the most successful investing shows, a Get Rich Education podcast, be on the Forbes Real Estate Council. How did you get in with the Rich Dad Advisors? How did you do that? You know, I think the number one thing I would say is don't live below your means, expand your means, and continue to just put yourself out there and sometimes put yourself out there in a better quality way than you think you even need to. For example, some of the first videos I ever had shot, Matt, some whiteboard videos that we uploaded to the Get Rich Education YouTube channel, I paid $750 to have a three-minute video made, and I decided to do that three times with professional cutaways and professional lighting and music that was done here in the studio, even though I could have shot them at home with my iPhone. Well, you know what? A few years ago, some influential people with the Rich Dad Advisors saw those videos, and I had already had those Rich Dad Advisors on my podcast as guests a few times, so they were already getting quite familiar with me, and they got more familiar with me when they saw those videos. And, you know, seeing something of professional quality, that is part of a brand there. That made people with Forbes and the Rich Dad Advisors invite me to join them. I didn't reach out to Forbes or the Risk Dad Advisors and ask to be associated with them. They reached out to me. So it comes down to put out better quality content, sometimes better quality than you think that it even needs to be. My podcast editor, I pay him between $80 and $100 every episode. I've heard other podcasters brag about how they only pay their assistant $15 per episode. And well, the show kind of sounds like they paid $15 per episode. So I'm always producing higher quality than I think I need to. People recognize that. People notice that. This is your brand. So don't live below your means. Expand your means. I love the networking advice too. I think that's a huge thing in terms of getting exposure to people, interacting with people, either physically going to places where people are or having them on your podcast or being on their podcast or somehow connecting with them on social media virtually or and otherwise getting into the ecosystem of people that you want to be associated with or people that are basically an echelon uh, above you or that can add a high level of professional value to you and somehow getting on their radar uh, and getting into their ecosystem, I think that's a huge. Um, I think that's a huge uh, uh, piece of advice that's really significant. But, but Keith, how do you? I mean, if I can just, add, how do you produce the the amount of content that you do? I mean, you just recently published a book. You are writing blogs for multiple sites. You are producing, you know, the the, the podcast episodes. How do you structure your day? I mean, do you? 
batch your content creation? Are you, I think you're a morning person from what I, from what I know. I mean, yeah. do you like knock it all out in the first half of the day? And then, you know, I mean, how do you sort of structure your, your time and your productivity so you can do all of this? Yeah. I get more done before noon than I do for the remainder of the day. That includes exercising. Sometimes I can be at some of my most productive times on the computer and doing digital things. But I know if I postpone exercising for another hour or two, I'm just not going to feel like doing it. So I prioritize exercise. As real estate investors, we're going to have income streams for a long time, so we probably want to be alive and healthy enough to enjoy them. So those two things definitely go together. I would also say that when I just completed a podcast episode and I'm really hot and really fresh and really passionate about a topic that I just talked about, you know, just to give you behind the scenes is what I often do is I will go write a blog article immediately after that because the thoughts are flowing and the thoughts are fresh. There is a process where you can have your podcast transcribed where someone can convert spoken word to written word, but we kind of speak and write in different ways. So that's why I don't use transcription. I just go write original organic content. But the way I batch it is because all those thoughts are just fresh in my head. And then I might shoot a video on it at the same time. So that's how I batch. I kind of batch around thoughts. Maybe my thought is why being financially free has more power in your life than being debt-free. If I just finish talking about that on the podcast, then I'll go write an article about how being financially free beats being debt-free. Then I'll shoot a video on it. So that's how I appear to put out a lot of content in a short period of time. I batch and I do it anchored with the thought process. That is awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about the book that you launched relatively recently. It's not, I guess it's not super recently anymore. It's been out for a little while, but it's been incredibly successful. Can you tell us about what's the book about and, and how's it been received? Yeah. Just last year, I published my first ever book, Seven Money Myths That Are Killing Your Wealth Potential. I've gotten so much good feedback on it. It's become an international best-selling book. And you know what, Matt? I wanted to make the book physically different than other books. The paperback version is only 80 pages long. I think the e-version is only 40 pages long. See, here's the thing. There's a bigger problem out there. Most people don't read. And why do most people not read? Because they didn't finish the last book that they read. And why didn't they finish the last book that they read? Because it was 345 pages and it got repetitive and it gave more examples than you need. That's why my book is lean, small, I actually wanted to make it small enough so that it would fit in your back pocket. It doesn't quite do it, but the book, Seven Money Myths That Are Killing Your Wealth Potential, debunks a lot of these myths. I've already debunked a few of them. For example, you think you want to be debt-free, but actually, especially in real estate investing, every time you try to be debt-free, you're actually taking a step away from being financially free. Another myth is that compound interest creates wealth. It really doesn't at any reasonable rate of return that you're going to get. That's a myth. And what debunks that myth is leverage, how leverage works in your life to give you great rates of return like we talked about. So the book, Seven Money Myths That Are Killing Your Wealth Potential, I'm actually giving that away free in the ebook version, not just a free chapter or something, but the complete ebook is free and you can get the complete ebook free because people need this information at getricheducation.com slash book. And I think you're going to find it 
paradigm shifting, getricheducation.com slash book. And we are going to definitely link to that in the show notes. So everything that Keith and I talk about in this episode is going to be in the show notes with direct links. So you don't have to remember every single URL. Just go to the show notes and we're going to link you right over to all the stuff that we've talked about. So with that, Keith, are you ready for some lightning round questions to close this out? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. What is the best way for someone to invest a net worth of $50,000? Let's say they have it all in cash, liquid, and they can invest it any which way. Okay. Lightning round. We're answering quick. That would be two turnkey single family rental properties. Okay. What if somebody has a million dollars net worth? Same thing, all cash. They can invest it any which way. A million dollars. I'm going to say don't sleep on assisted living homes. Demographics are in your favor. I've even had a guest on my show that demonstrated how you can get five to $15,000 of monthly cash flow, not income, but five to 15K of monthly cash flow from one single family home converted into an assisted living home. Okay, what is the top book other than your own that you would recommend to other people to read? Well, Rich Dad, Poor Dad's a great one, but I think everyone's heard of that. It had a big influence in my life. So I'll also say The Power of Thought by Glenn Bland because it all starts in the mind. All right. And what would be the top app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you would recommend? It is bombbomb.com. And there's also an app for that. And I know you're familiar with this, Matt, because I've sent you bombbomb messages before. It's a video email service that is so slick. So when the recipient gets my email and it's a video, it just brings a real humanness and more of a genuineness to the entire conversation. And when that prospective client that wants to advertise on my show or that prospective guest that wants to come on my show and they got an invitation from someone else that wrote them a text email versus an invitation from me with a personalized video email, people are blown away. It's one of the smartest investments I've ever made, bombbomb.com. And I just complimented you on it, I think, not more than 48 hours ago, Keith, when you sent me a video email and I responded, I said, wow, Keith, I love that video email. That's amazing. So that's, that's that, that always makes an impression. And actually, that's really another answer to how I built my business faster. BombBomb.com video email. That's amazing. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, okay. What is your favorite podcast or blog or YouTube show other than your own that you listen to regularly? The Planet Money Podcast by NPR. That just does a great job of marrying investing with everyday life situations. Awesome. If you could have dinner with any celebrity or author or public figure that's alive today that you've never met, who would you choose and why? Ooh, that's a question I don't think I've been asked in a while. I would say Steve Forbes. Even though I'm a writer for Steve, I haven't had a one-on-one dinner with Steve Forbes because Steve Forbes could tell me a bit about brand building and talk really eloquently about investing as well. All right. What is your favorite destination that you've ever traveled to that you would love to go back again and spend a month plus, you know, there? That is actually a place in the United States on Hawaii's big island at the Kalapana village on the south end of the island. One of the most primordially cool experiences I've ever had is going on a night safari with flashlights into where the flowing orange lava of Kilauea is. And with your wooden walking stick, 
you take your stick and you stick it into the hot orange flowing lava and the tip of the wooden stick hisses and bursts into flames. And I have an iPhone video of it and it is just one of the most transcendently cool things I've ever done. That is totally amazing, Keith. And if you can believe this, I've never been to the state of Hawaii uh, in my life uh, yet. And so that's actually very high on my list. So again, like the Philippines that I've never been to, when I go there, I will get your recommendations as well. So the final question uh, that I want to ask you is, what is your top bucket list destination? You've never traveled there yet, but it's literally on the top of your list for most exciting destination you want to go to. It's to go to the moon. I want to go to the moon. I want to look down and see the earth in its entirety and just marvel at it. That is a true bucket list trip because any most anything else on earth i actually do have the financial means to get there but i don't know that i have it to get to the moon yet and if you see what peter diamandis and elon musk are doing with businesses like spacex it will be possible in my lifetime i'm hopeful so that's why the moon is my bucket list trip that's an amazing answer and that's a great way to close out this podcast you see folks there's very few people that would give that answer so being able to think bigger uh, I think you just demonstrated that very well with your answer to that question, Keith. So where can people find you? Where do you want them to go? How can they listen to the podcast? Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, the Get Rich Education podcast is where we talk about how to actionably invest in real estate with an abundance mindset. And we have some pretty prominent guests there. Robert Kiyosaki has been on several times. His real estate advisors commonly make appearances. So that's the Get Rich Education podcast and the book and the blog and actual actionable investment opportunity at getricheducation.com. So it's getricheducation.com and the Get Rich Education podcast. Awesome. And we are going to link to all of that stuff in the show notes so you can get everything in one place. All of the things that we talked about, uh, the books that we referenced, the podcast that we referenced, everything that we discussed in the show. Don't worry about remembering it right now. Just go straight to the show notes and all the links will be there. Keith, I want to thank you so much for being here today. It was really great that we finally got to have this particular conversation. I got to learn a little bit more about you. I appreciate you pulling back the curtains a little bit, giving us the behind the scenes, as well as dropping the value bombs that you normally do uh, on the podcast and educating folks about, about the real estate investing and all that, man. So thank you so much for coming on. Matt, talking about lifestyle investing in real estate fires me up. So thanks so much for having me. All right, Keith. Have a great day. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Are you at risk for being underinsured on your rental properties? Or are you paying too much for your coverage? To find out, go to themaverickshow.com slash insurance and check out a free recorded webinar on debunking the 13 rental property insurance myths. Insurance can be complex and confusing. And there are a lot of myths that can get you burned when you least expect it. To learn more, check out this free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash insurance. Do you know how to determine actual market rents and localized vacancy rates for individual properties at the address level? Do you know how to determine the strength of the rental market where your property is located and which direction rental rates are trending? Learn how at themaverickshow.com slash rent. This data has historically been difficult to ascertain, but now you can pull reports that contain all this information for any address in the U.S. 
and you can pull your first report for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash rent.